Well, good morning again. Welcome to St. John again. My name is Dion, and I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm, I'm actually getting ready to head off for a couple of weeks of uh, some vacation time, which I'm really excited about. And uh, not, not that I don't love being here with you, because I do, but I'm excited to take some vacation. And so you're going to be hearing for a couple of weeks from um, our new associate pastor, Doug Moss. He's going to, uh, you'll be seeing him a little bit more here on weekends, and uh, you'll hear from Steve Howard too. And, and as you get to know Doug Moss, um, one of the things that you'll learn about him and his family is that they love movies. In particular, they love Disney movies. Now, anyone else love Disney movies? It's all right, men. You can admit to it. Um, it's, it's all right. So I don't know what it is that you love about Disney movies. Maybe it's the animation. Uh, maybe it's the great music. I, you know, Disney, they, put, they have some great music. Or uh, maybe for you, it's the storyline. Specifically, that in a Disney movie, you can pretty much guarantee that every story will have a great ending. Um, take one of my favorites, Little Mermaid. I'm not too proud to say it. Little Mermaid's one of my favorites. Um, take that for example. You know the story of Little Mermaid, Ariel and Eric and the sea witch, and she tries to dupe Ariel, but in the end, the sea witch dies, and, and Ariel gets to stay human, and she gets to be with Eric forever, and not only that, but sea and land are brought together, um, and it's just a, a great, great ending. But do you know the original Little Mermaid story by Hans Christian Andersen? It's a little different. Uh, in that story, the mermaid is not named Ariel. She doesn't have a name. And uh, a lot of it goes the same. She falls in love with the prince. She wants to be with him. She goes to see a sea witch. The sea witch doesn't just magically take her voice. She, the sea witch actually takes her tongue, manually takes her tongue. And uh, then Ariel goes, or the mermaid rather goes, and, um, and she tries to get the prince to fall in love with her, but the prince falls in love with someone else. He marries someone else. And then on the night of his, his wedding night, the mermaid has a choice to either kill the prince or die herself, and she makes the choice out of love to die herself. And so they never get to be together. She dies, but um, because of her selflessness, she gets a chance to go to purgatory for 500 years to try to earn an eternal soul because we all know mermaids don't have souls. A little different, isn't it? little different. Or uh, what, about, what about the frog prince? Maybe you know that one. Uh, I don't know this one quite as well, but Tiana and the prince, he's a frog. He gets a spell put on him in the Disney movie or some voodoo stuff. And, and then she kisses him and, and he turns back into a prince. You kind of know the story. Do you know in the original story of the frog prince, the princess is so um, just repulsed by the frog who starts making moves on her that she throws him against the wall and kills him. <laughs> That's it. End of story. Again, a little different. Or uh, the story of Rapunzel. I, I love the movie Tangled. I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, in, in the story of uh, Rapunzel, I, I won't tell you the whole ending because if you haven't seen it, there are a few plot twists there. But uh, it, ends, it ends really well. But the original Rapunzel story ends a little bit different. Um, Rapunzel is found to be pregnant by the wicked witch who keeps her lock in the, locked in the tower. And so she, the wicked witch cuts her hair and banishes her to the desert. And then the prince, who um, is in love with Rapunzel, comes to find her in the tower, and she's not there. And when he discovers that she's not there, he tries to end his life by jumping from the tower. But instead of ending his life, he lands in some thorns that blind him. And so then he wanders around the desert trying to find her, but he can't find her because he's blind. And eventually they come together, and with tears of joy, her tears of joy miraculously heal his vision, and they live in the desert with their kids happily ever after. <laughs> Again, it's a little different, isn't it? Now, uh, Disney, you know, they get a hold of these old fairy tales, these old stories, and they change the endings. And I think today you can understand why, because those are terrible endings. You would not pay money. You'd be disappointed. You'd be angry if, if all of these movies ended in that way. Why? Because we love, we love, we love a happy ending. And that's not only true with the movies that we watch, but it's, it's especially true in, in life, in the stories that we're living, right? 
I mean, we work hard, we plan, and we fight, and we um, are, are determined in our own stories to try our best to do everything that's within our power to make sure that we get a chance to live happily ever after. But I think we all know that even though you work and you plan and you show great determination, I think we all know that we're not necessarily guaranteed in life a happily ever after. Uh, You know, I think of all kinds of married couples who stand in a church like this and they pledge to love each other until death parts them. And and everyone that I've met at least has a good intention of doing that. They're expecting a happily ever after. And yet, you know, I mean, you know the stats more than that. You may be living the reality that sometimes that's not enough. And you can fight and you can work hard and you can be committed to your marriage and, and you can try your best to work through problems. And, and sometimes it's not up to you. And, and so you may start off here in a church believing that there's a happily ever after for you. And 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, something else happens. Or, uh, you know, lately I, I, I kind of had a revelation about um, grandparents, parents who have adult children and then those adult children have children. Um, hey, do, you know, do you know grandparent age people who can't stop bragging about their adult kids and grandkids? Do you know anyone like that? Yeah. Are, are you one of those people? Um, See, it's okay if you admit that because I used, to, I used to find that really annoying. I found it kind of prideful and arrogant when people just talk about how great their kids are and how smart their grandkids are. I, I'm coming to realize what that actually is. I thought it was pride. I thought it was arrogance. I realize now that it's actually relief. <laughs> it is, isn't it? So you know. You know it's relief. Um, it's relief because, you know, you're, like you hear them, they're like, do you know my son? He's got a job. And it's a good job, and he gets up every day, and he goes to work, and I, you know, I had, I had to, like, drag him out of bed every day before he'd get up to go to school, and he wouldn't go anywhere, and he actually, and, and he's got these kids, and, and the kids, they turned out okay. They're smart. He didn't brain damage them. He couldn't even keep a goldfish alive, and he's taking good care of these kids, and they're actually really great. It's relief, isn't it? It's not pride. You're just, because, because here's what we know as parents. You know, I feel this more and more every day that you can do everything right, and you can pour yourself into your kids, and you can try to raise them right. And there's no guarantee that they're going to grow and be whole people. There's no happily ever after for you as parents. And so if, if they get there, you're so relieved. You're so excited. You can't stop telling people about it, right? Because there's no guarantee. Right on that note, I know there's some of you who in your story, you imagine that you would have kids, that kids would be a part of your story. And as you go forward, you're realizing more and more that that might not be an option for you. And so you're wrestling with that. I think of people who are, are, you know, wise savers and they lived modestly throughout their working life and they saved money away and, and then, you know, you get to the point of retirement and you've got all these dreams for your golden years and then something like 2008 happens and the market crashes and suddenly that happily ever after that you'd planned and worked and scrimped and saved for is not within your grasp anymore. See, see, so often our stories look more like the original versions of these fairy tales, not the Disney versions, and I'm not trying to depress you or be pessimistic, because sometimes they can work out okay, sometimes they don't. But, but here's the point, that you can do everything that is within your power to try to find yourself a happy ending, to try to write a, a happily ever after to your story, and you don't necessarily get one, do you? And I'm not trying to make you anxious or depressed, we, we feel enough of that in our lives, But here's what I want you to know. Whether you are in the middle of a story today that is right on track toward a happily ever after, or whether your story is in the middle of a huge setback, you're reeling from a loss, 
or a change in plot that you were never expecting for yourself, that you never wanted for yourself, and, and you're trying to figure out how you're ever going to get back on track. What, whatever situation you're in today, here's what I want you to know. You were created. You were made for a happily ever after. That's why you want one so bad. That's why you long for it. That's why those Disney movies resonate with you. You were created for a happily ever after. And Jesus, today we're going to look at Jesus making a promise to us that through him we can have one, no matter what happens in our stories in the here and now. Um, Today we're going to look at a place in scripture where Jesus makes this promise so clearly, John chapter 14. So if you want to uh, turn to your Bibles here in the room in front of you, if you want to crack one of those Bibles, you can, page 1081. Uh, In John 14, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus and his disciples in an upper room in the top of a house, a large room there, and they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And things are actually going really well for them. It's Passover time, which is one of the greatest festivals of the Jewish year. And so, you know, it's, it's like Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, it's, it's a great time. And they're gathered together to celebrate the Passover meal. And uh, when, when they came into Jerusalem a few days before, they came into Jerusalem and all these people are coming into Jerusalem. But Jesus got recognized as being this you know, really popular teacher. And so when Jesus started coming into town, people were waiting for him there and they had a parade and they were celebrating him and blessing his name as he came into town. And so in this moment, in this upper room, things are going really, really well. The disciples, they're feeling very good about following Jesus because <laughs> this guy, he's, he's being cheered, he's being celebrated, it's Passover. It's a really great moment. But in John 14, we're going to see Jesus as he starts to to turn the narrative and he starts to describe how things aren't going to always go so well, how the story's about to change, that he's going to be betrayed by one of them, he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And suddenly this happily ever after that they had been dreaming about, that they thought was being fulfilled just days before, all of that's going to go away. But it's in the middle of this gloom and doom kind of place that Jesus makes this promise to them and also to us about a happily ever after that is waiting for each of us. John chapter 14, let's look at it. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's how he starts. And, you know, do not let your hearts be troubled. Okay, Jesus, if you do want my heart to be troubled, why did you tell me all that bad news? If you do want my heart to be troubled, then just let me have Passover and tell me later. Let me ride out the, you know, the, the, the joy of that parade that they threw for us a couple of days ago when we came into Jerusalem. If you don't want my heart to be troubled, then why don't you fix this? Why don't you change this story? Don't you have power not to suffer and die and do all of that stuff? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You just told me all about the trouble that's coming. And Jesus kind of says, yeah, yeah, look, I, I know, I know. What you just heard is troubling. This is not what you planned. This is not the story you imagined for yourself when you started following me around three years ago. But, but don't let your hearts be troubled anyway, and here's why. You believe in God. Believe, trust also in me. Trust me in this, he says. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, check this out, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, if you've ever heard these words before, um, if you've ever read these before or heard them read, chances are that a place that you've heard them, the place that you've heard them, is at a funeral. We read these words a lot at funerals for obvious reasons because a funeral is a time where your hearts are troubled. A funeral is an abrupt end to your dreams of a happily ever after. Uh, And it's not... It's not a coincidence that here in these words, Jesus is, he's talking about his own death. 
when he gives these words of hope. He's, he's, he's talking about the situation of death, the hopelessness of death, the abrupt ending to our happily ever after. And he's talking about that. And yet he makes his promise and he says, but you know, even in death, even the most abrupt ending to your, to your story that you can imagine, the most disappointing ending, even there, you, you can have a happily ever after. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am in the Father's house where there are many rooms. It's a good promise, isn't it? And yet here's what I know for so many of us, for all of us, I think, even though Jesus makes this promise that there is an eternal life, there is a life after death, there is a heaven that we get to go to after this world is over, after this life is over, the reality is, if we're honest, heaven isn't the happily ever after that we dream about most days, is it? It's not. We, we just be honest about that, can't we? I mean, in the, in the face of death, sure, heaven is a great alternative. If it's death or heaven, I'll take heaven any day. But, but in, in light of living, in light of life, in light of everything else that life might hold, heaven isn't exactly, eternal life isn't exactly the thing that gets us most excited in my ministry, I've met very few people, even faith-filled people who have had very hard lives, I've met very few people who, near the moment of their death, are eager to move on. A lot of them believe they will move on, but I know a lot of them who, who feel some apprehension. They hold on for too long. They fight. They don't want to let go of life. And I completely understand that. Not only that, in our lives, even when we're not near the moment of death, we have those moments, don't we, where, where we kind of wish for heaven. We think, man, I'm, I'm just tired of this life. But a desire to escape the pain of living is different than hoping for a happily ever after, right? That's different. Escaping something that's painful is different than hoping for a happily ever after. See, problem is we know deep down that our destiny and our destination, those aren't the same thing. That when we talk about a destiny for our lives, we're not just talking about where we end up when it's all over. And so often we think of heaven, that's what we think of, is the place we get to go when this is all over. And there's a disconnect there for us, isn't there? I mean, when you think about your life, when you think about a happy ending, a happily ever after for you, when you think about your destiny, it's not just where you're going to be sitting forever. I mean, what about the 70 or 80 or 90 years we get here? And now, does the journey that we walk on this earth mean nothing if it's only about our destination? See, we know in our hearts that our destiny is bigger than just our destination, and yet, this is so often how, how we talk about it. Further, we know that happily ever after, after has to be more than a place. And we know that there has to be something in the here and now. If we're really going to talk about destiny, we've got to talk about these things too. And here's what I want to tell you. Today, Jesus does. It's just that we so often misunderstand this whole idea of eternal life. We so often misunderstand heaven. We, we misunderstand what our destiny really is. Problem is that when we talk about heaven, we think in terms of destination, almost exclusively, right? In the Father's house, and we go, okay, in the Father's house, I wonder my, what my room will look like. Will it have a mountain view? I prefer the beach. Will it, will it be the beach? Um, what will my room be like? Will I have a soaker tub? Because I really like to take baths over showers. Will there be Wi-Fi there? How about cable? Do I get all the channels? Right? We, we ask these questions, don't we? We wonder about the place. That's where our mind often goes. What will the place be like? And that's, that's not all bad. And yet I think it's, it's inadequate. And people like me, we haven't helped because preachers over the years, when they talk about this life, they often talk about in terms of fire and brimstone, 
Do you want to go there to this bad place or do you want to go to a good place? And it's, it's all about the place. But deep down, I think we all know that the place, the place doesn't matter all that much. I mean, the place is nice, but, but the place isn't enough. The place can't be our destiny alone. Why? Because, because we have all been in beautiful places and had terrible times and been in terrible places and had wonderful times. We know the place isn't that significant. Now, how many of you have been on vacation this summer already? How many of you have been on vacation ever? All right, okay. Um, have you ever done this when you're on vacation? You're in a beautiful place and you look around and, and, and you have this thought. If I just lived here, I would be so much happier. How many of you do that? I do that every time I go on vacation. I do. Um, every time I go on vacation, I thought, man, just... And yet, what do we know? We know that there are people who do live there in that exact place, and their lives aren't necessarily happy, right? Um, there's still financial hardship, and there's relationship stress, and there's sickness. People still die of cancer. People still get divorced. We know that not everyone who lives in a beautiful place is happy because the place isn't all that matters, I remember one of the most miserable experiences of my entire life was a long weekend I spent in Paris. Now, how can you be miserable in Paris? I don't know, but we were. I I was there in uh, college. I was studying in London, and um, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Jocelyn, she came and visited me along with my younger sister, Dana, and we went with my best friend from from college, Mark, and we went uh, through the the channel tunnel, through the channel, and took a high-speed train, went to Paris, and it was going to be amazing, and it was terrible. And you're like, how can Paris be terrible? I don't know it was because we weren't getting along and we were stressed out and, you know, we just couldn't agree on what to do. And it was a nightmare. Couldn't wait to get back and to be done with it. But it's Paris. I know, I know. It was terrible. And then I think about another time in college where uh, Jocelyn and some friends of ours, we, we went camping down in Florida um, in the hot weather, and it was this dodgy campground, and we were in this hot tent, and it was, it was terrible circumstances. And in this campground, I kid you not, there were raccoons the size of Labradors. <laughs> and if you try to go to the bathroom, night, they were like in the trash cans hissing at you, and we were like terrified. And, and, uh, and then there was this run-in we had with this, this tattoo artist who was a body piercer who had a wooden leg, and I'm not... I'm not going to tell you the rest of that story, but it's honest, it's true story, and it was a crazy, it was a crazy experience, and yet, I look back at that, and that was one of the best experiences of my life. Bad place. Great experience. Why? Because the people I was with, not just the people I was with, because we were connecting there. See, as Jesus begins to talk about this promise of our destiny, the first thing we have to get out of our minds is it's not just about the place. Yes, there is a place, and I'm sure it's wonderful, but that's not really Jesus' focus. See, for Jesus, it's not about the place, it's, it's who we find there. Look what he says again. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. See, the where isn't important. What matters is that's where he is. <laughs> Under the Father's roof, dwelling with him together, being with the one who loves us more than anyone could ever love us. See, I think the difference between great experiences and bad experiences, it's not the place, it's, it's who you're with. And Jesus is making a promise to us that no matter what happens to us here, no matter the loneliness or the isolation that we may experience, no matter the heartache that we may experience, our ultimate destiny is to be with him, the one who loves us, the one who understands us, the one who gets us, the one who can console us. We get to be with him forever. It's not just about a place. It's about connecting 
And then he goes on, and I want you to look at how he goes on in the rest of this. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? See, Thomas is very caught up on the place. He's very caught up on how do we get there? I want directions. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. See, it's not about the place and it's not just about what happens in the future. There's something for us in the here and now. Only Jesus talks this way. Every other world religion, it's all about the place. It's about going to paradise and having virgins there or, or going to some other place where there's other good things happen. It's about, it's about extinction. And, 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 and the promise is, if you work hard enough, if you're good enough, if you do enough righteous things, someday you may get to a really great place, but you're never gonna know if you get there or not until you live your life the best you can and you close your eyes and you hope when you open them again, you're in a really great place. See, that's what every other religion of the world can promise you. Only Jesus talks this way. He talks altogether differently, doesn't he? Because for him, it's not just about the place. It's about being with him. It's being in his presence. And it's not just about the future. See, he says, you know, you know the way because I am the way. And if you know me, you'll know the Father. In fact, you do know the Father because you've seen him now. See, the way Jesus talks, it's not just about the destination because he's not only the destination, but he's also the way. And we don't have to work our tails off hoping we might attain to some future someday. Jesus has already done the work. And he makes this promise that there's something for us to experience in the here and now. Not just then, someday. See, as Jesus talks about our destiny, he talks about it very differently than, than maybe how we think about our destiny or certainly the way other religious teachers talk about destiny. See, for Jesus... If you want to know about your destiny, you know what it is? Your destiny is to be loved. See, that's your destiny. And I think if you're honest today with yourself, this is something that you want more than anything else in life. To be loved. Unconditionally. To be seen for who you are. Not to be loved because people think you're better than you are, but, but actually to be known, because we all have that hunch, we all have that suspicion inside of us that, yeah, people may love me, but if they knew the real me, if they saw me as I really, as I really am, I don't know that they would love me. I don't, know that, I don't know that they would stick by me. I don't know that they would put up with me. And yet Jesus says that our destiny is to be loved no matter what. Uh, Jesus says that our destiny is to be full. And, and in those moments when life is empty, when you feel spent, when, when you just feel like you've been poured out and there's nothing left, isn't this what you long for more than anything? You long to be full. You long to be full. You just, you, and you just kind of know that's what you were made for, not to be empty, not to be running on fumes, but to be overflowing with abundance. See, that's your destiny. Again, it's not, not just about the place, it's, it's to be full and, and it's to be whole. You know, as we talk about our brokenness, it's, it's nice to be loved in spite of our brokenness, but isn't what we dream about, isn't, isn't what we dream about to actually be put back together and, and, and to be whole people, not fragmented people? Not people who keep tripping up over the same weaknesses over and over again? 
Not people with broken hearts and, and minds. Not people with broken bodies. We, we long to be made whole. And Jesus says this, see, this is your destiny. Your destiny is to find love that never ends. It's to be filled up so you're overflowing. Your destiny is to be made whole. And here's the great thing. And again, only Jesus talks this way. Jesus says that this all comes through him. It's not about the place, but he also says, he also says that you don't have to wait until this life is over to find these things, that your destiny can be experienced starting today. There's some of you sitting in this room and you struggle with this idea of an afterlife. You doubt whether there's an afterlife. And you know what, if you do, I, I can't say I blame you. It's understandable. It's okay. But even if that's true, even if that's you, here's what I want you to know. Jesus, he has something for you in the here and now. It's not only about the afterlife. For me, uh, in my life, I'm not, I'm not living, I'm not, I'm not doing this faith thing kind of like I'm putting a bunch of chips on Jesus and I hope that when I close my eyes for the final time that I, I bet on the right one. And I think that's how a lot of us think about faith, right? I, I'm just making a guess and I'm picking between options and I just got to kind of wait until it's all over and then I'm going to see and I really hope, I really hope it's the right one. See, that's not what I'm doing here. That's not the bet I'm making. For me, what I've come to understand is that all of these things that are ultimately my destiny that I will have in full someday that will be complete in me someday, I realize that they're mine in the here and now. That Jesus can begin to bring me a taste of these things, a foretaste of these things in the here and now. See, I think the reason that these promises from John 14, they fall flat so often and, and when life goes crazy and when we're brokenhearted and when our happy ending is ripped out of our hand for whatever it was that we were planning for ourselves, the reason, the reason that heaven seems so inadequate is because we've got the wrong idea of heaven. See, it's ultimately about being with one who can do all of these things, who loves us, who can make us full, who day by day is making us whole. And it's not, friends, it's not something you have to wait for. It's something that he can begin to give to you now and then one day when this life is over and the pain and, and the difficulty and the frustration and, and also the joy and everything else of this life is done, then these things that you've been tasting in part, they become yours in full. See, here's why I think Jesus is so different. And here's why I want everyone in this place to know him. Because there's no one else who is like this. There's no one else who talks like this. There's no one else who makes promises like this in all of the world. And my hope is that you would begin to see today, not someday when you die, but you'd begin to see today the things that only Jesus can bring into your life. Throughout the series, that's how we've talked, in fact. Uh, we've talked about lasting success and true satisfaction and real help and purpose and uh, that's what we've been talking about as we've moved through this series. Not stuff that you get someday, although those things do come to you fully someday and it's gonna be great, I'm sure, but those are things that only Jesus wants to do in the here and now. See, Jesus, whatever your story, whatever twists and turns it's taking today, Jesus can make it better. 
And, and whatever you're going through today, he can bring his love and fullness, his abundance, his wholeness, his healing power into that situation, and he can make it better now and ultimately forever when he comes to take us to be with him in the Father's house. See, that's what I want you to know. That's the Jesus I want you to know. Not a Jesus who's a get-out-of-hell-free kind of card in Monopoly game or something. Not, not that. But I want you to know the Jesus who loves you. The Jesus who has the desire to fill you now. The Jesus who wants to make you more whole. In fact, pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for making these kinds of promises to us. Not just of an afterlife, but of a life in the here and now. Of a destiny that we can experience today, not just someday. That we can begin to step into right now. Jesus, thanks for the promise of companionship. Thanks for the promise of love and fullness and wholeness. And Jesus, I pray today that by your spirit, you would give us the ability to trust you. To taste and see that you're good. I pray right now that you dispel our doubts and our fears. That you would quiet the voices of pain and disappointment in our lives. And that you would speak a tender word over us. That you'd give us the courage just to call out to your name. To yield and surrender. And to find what you came to give to us. Our ultimate destiny that we can begin to experience right now. Jesus, I pray that whether we need a, a word of love. Whether we just need our empty spirits to be filled or whether we need the reassurance of your forgiveness, of your healing power in our broken lives. Jesus, I pray that, that you'd begin to give us a taste of that in some small way right now so that we would trust you for so much more in this life and certainly in the life to come. We pray it in your name alone, Jesus. Amen.